Welcome, everybody, to History Analyzed. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. This is a podcast which examines historical events and issues. The issue we're analyzing today is time zones, where they come from, who invented them, why do we need them? All right, let's explore. Let's tackle why first. Up until the mid-1800s, each city or town set its own time. Time was set by determining when the sun was at the highest point in the sky, and that was determined to be noon. Most towns had an official clock, usually a clock tower or some clock accessible to everybody. People set their watches and their home clocks from the town clock. By setting time by when the sun was at its highest point, the time in each city or town was a little different. As you go west, the time is a little earlier because the sun took a little longer to reach the high point overhead. Example, time in Philadelphia was a little earlier than the time in New York City. The time in Pittsburgh was be a little earlier than Philadelphia. These were just by a matter of minutes. This wasn't a big problem when people traveled between cities by horse or on foot. By the time you walked or rode a horse from one city to another, it didn't matter that the time was different. When you got to the next city or town, you just adjusted your watch to the local time in the new city or town. Since there were no instant communications between cities, who knew or cared what time it was in another city? This changed with the invention of the telegraph in 1844. Now you could communicate between cities instantaneously. But a much more important phenomenon was the invention of railroads. The first railroad built in the U.S. was the Baltimore and Ohio, which was chartered in 1827. By the way, for everybody who has played Monopoly, the B&O Railroad in Monopoly is the Baltimore and Ohio. First modern railway in Britain was the Liverpool and Manchester Railway, which opened in 1830. As the century progressed, more and more railroads were built in the U.S. and in Britain. This presented a problem for scheduling and for safety. If railroads stated that a particular train was going to leave at 10.45 a.m. and arrive at the next city at 1.15 p.m., people needed to agree when it was actually 10.45 a.m. or 1.15 p.m. You could not have every city or town setting its own official time. Besides being inconvenient, this also led to a lot of accidents with trains being on the same tracks at the same time. Something had to be done. Britain acted first. In 1840, the Great Western Railway became the first to adopt Greenwich Mean Time. Greenwich Mean Time, or commonly called GMT, is the mean solar time at the Royal Observatory in Greenwich. Greenwich, by the way, is a royal borough of London, England. In December 1847, the Railway Clearinghouse adopted GMT. So, all railroads in Britain were on the same time, Greenwich Mean Time. The Royal Observatory in Greenwich transmitted its first telegraph signal for setting clocks on August 23, 1852. By the mid-1850s, most public clocks in Britain were set to GMT. Although it was already in practical use, GMT did not become Britain's legal standard time until 1880. 
It was easy to set one time for Great Britain because it's an island and relatively small compared to a continent. What about large countries like the U.S. and Canada? One time zone could not cover the continental U.S. or Canada. And yes, I'm using that term continental U.S. even though Hawaii and Alaska had not yet become states. We'll deal with Hawaii and Alaska later. The railroads finally agreed to hold the General Time Convention on October 11, 1883. At that convention, five standard time zones were chosen for the continental U.S. and Canada. This was put into effect on Sunday, November 18, 1883. That day was called the Day of the Two Noons because each railroad station clock was reset when standard time noon was reached within that time zone, ignoring what the non-standardized clocks had previously said was noon. At noon on November 18, 1883, the U.S. Naval Observatory changed its telegraphic signals to what was now officially noon Eastern Time. These five time zones from west to east were designated as Pacific, Mountain, Central, Eastern, and Intercolonial. Time zones were 15 degrees of longitude wide and based on Greenwich Mean Time. The time zones were based on solar noon at 75, 90, 105, and 120 degrees west of Greenwich. These were not straight lines from the North Pole to the South Pole because they did not want to have a dividing line between two time zones run through a populated area. and You'd end up with half of a city in one time zone and the other half of the city an hour behind. The name of the intercolonial time zone was later changed to the Atlantic time zone. No U.S. states use Atlantic time, but U.S. territories, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands do. The Atlantic time zone is primarily used in the maritime provinces of Canada, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island. There is a fourth Canadian province that's located in that area, Newfoundland, but I'll discuss that later because it's an odd situation. Most businesses adopted the five time zones in the U.S. and Canada once the railroads did. Since the businesses adopted these standardized time zones, so did the people because they had to comply with their work schedules set by their employers. In Canada, official time was specified by laws passed by the individual provinces. In the U.S., the federal government passed the Standard Time Act of 1918. That's when the four time zones became the law of the land in the U.S. and officially set standard time as well as daylight saving time. Under that law, the Interstate Commerce Commission, which had been created in 1887, was given the authority to define each time zone. When the Department of Transportation was founded in 1966, the responsibility of regulating standardized time was transferred to the DOT. Alaska and Hawaii have their own time zones. The Alaskan time zone is one hour earlier than the Pacific time zone, and Alaska uses daylight saving time. The Hawaiian time zone, which also includes Alaska's Aleutian Islands, is one hour earlier than the Alaskan time zone but Hawaii does not use daylight saving time. 
They're in the middle of the ocean. They could do what they want. So during the winter, Hawaii is two hours behind Pacific time, meaning California and the West Coast. But during the summer, when the West Coast springs ahead, Hawaii is three hours behind Pacific time. The only other state which does not utilize daylight saving time is Arizona. At least most of the state, it's a weird situation. Some of the state does use daylight saving time. Arizona, at least most of it, is officially on mountain standard time zone throughout the year. So during the summer, it is on the same time as California and the Pacific time zone. And during the winter, it's on the same time as Denver, Salt Lake City, and the rest of the mountain time zone. All right, we've covered the U.S. and Canada, as well as Britain, but what about the rest of the world? In the late 1870s, the chief engineer of the Canadian Pacific Railway, a guy named Sanford Fleming, created a plan for a worldwide standard time. Fleming recognized that the world could be divided into 24 time zones, each spaced 15 degrees apart. He based this on two facts. Number one, the world rotates once every 24 hours. And number two, there are 360 degrees of longitude. Therefore, each hour, the Earth rotates 1 24th of a circle, which corresponds to 15 degrees of longitude. Fleming's plan continued to gain traction until October 1884, when delegates from 27 countries met in Washington, D.C. for the International Meridian Conference. U.S. President Chester A. Arthur proposed the conference. That's why it was held in Washington. The purpose of the conference was to pick a prime meridian to be employed as a common zero of longitude and standard of time reckoning throughout the world. At the International Meridian Conference, the prime meridian was chosen as the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, England. Fun fact, almost all of the countries agreed to this, but not the French. The French were annoyed that it was going to be located in London and used a location in Paris as the prime meridian until 1911, when they got on board with the rest of the world and adopted Greenwich Mean Time. With the adoption of the prime meridian, there would be 180 degrees longitude east and 180 degrees longitude to the west of Greenwich, meeting at the international dateline in the Pacific. As a result of the determination of the prime meridian in Greenwich, the format for 24 standard meridians of longitude that are 15 degrees apart are theoretically the boundaries of the 24 standard time zones. This is why we designate time as being plus or minus from Greenwich Mean Time. I live in California, which is GMT minus 8. That means that the time in California and the rest of the West Coast of the U.S. and Canada is 8 hours earlier than the time in Greenwich, England. Greenwich Mean Time has been essentially replaced by the term Coordinated Universal Time. That's abbreviated UTC. And no, I did not make a mistake with that abbreviation. Coordinated Universal Time is abbreviated as UTC, not CUT. Why is that? Well, it's a compromise between French speakers and English speakers. In French, the term is temp 
Universal Cordion, which would be TUC. By the way, I have a standard disclaimer in my podcasts that when I have to pronounce anything from a foreign language, you have to forgive me. Anyway, UTC is the compromise between CUT, the abbreviation in English, and TUC, the abbreviation in French. At the risk of complicating matters further, UTC is sometimes referred to as Zulu time. That term comes from the NATO phonetic alphabet, which assigns a word to each letter. It's kind of like when you're talking on the phone to somebody from the airlines. Instead of saying DYZ, they will say Delta Yankee Zulu. Anyway, in aviation, they usually say Zulu time. Essentially, GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, and UTC, Coordinated Universal Time, are the same. Officially, the difference is that Greenwich Mean Time, GMT, is an actual time zone where Coordinated Universal Time, UTC, is the title of the time standard that is used to keep time synchronized across the world. UTC never changes to Daylight Saving Time. All right, so now that we've discussed how they came about, let's discuss some of the wacky time zones. Canada has 10 provinces. Canada has five main time zones. They're the same four as the continental U.S. from west to east, Pacific, Mountain, Central, and Eastern. They also have the Atlantic time zone that I mentioned earlier for the maritime provinces of New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island. And then there's the furthest east province, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is 30 minutes ahead of Atlantic time. So if it's 10 o'clock p.m. in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, or Prince Edward Island, it's 10.30 in Newfoundland. Why is this? Well, Newfoundland was a separate country within the British Commonwealth when time zones were created. Canada was created as a separate country in 1867, but Newfoundland remained independent and did not join Canada until 1949. So, when time zones were established, Newfoundland, as a separate country, was able to adopt its own time zone and decided to be three and a half hours earlier than Greenwich Mean Time. So, Newfoundland is UTC minus three and a half. And they've kept that up. And before any Canadian listeners get upset with me, not all of the province of Newfoundland does this. The province of Newfoundland has two main parts, the island of Newfoundland and a mainland section called Labrador. Most of Labrador follows Atlantic time, but the island of Newfoundland marches to the beat of its own drummer. There are other places that are 30 minutes off of the 24 basic time zones. One of those is Afghanistan, which leads to a crazy border with China, which I'll explain in a little bit. The biggest country with a 30-minute offset is India. Even though India is very large, they only have one time zone, which is UTC plus five and a half. Meaning, if it's 5 o'clock a.m. in Greenwich, England, it's 10.30 a.m. in India. The country that is the most out of sync with the 24 international time zones is China. 
That country is enormous. It's about the same size as the continental U.S. However, where the continental U.S. has four time zones, China only has one. Before the communist takeover in 1949, China had five time zones. But when the communists took over, the entire country was placed onto one time zone, Beijing time. That means that in the western part of China, the sun rises and sets much later, according to the local clocks, than the sun does in Beijing. When the sun is directly overhead in western China, it's not close to being noon, but it's closer to being around 4 o'clock p.m. Normally, when you cross from one time zone to another, there is a one-hour difference. But because China does not recognize the rules that everybody else does with the 24 main time zones, it means that if you cross the border from China into Afghanistan, the time difference is three and a half hours. And again, the reason is because China has one time zone and Afghanistan has got a 30-minute offset. So Afghanistan is UTC plus four and a half hours. An even wackier situation is Nepal. In 1956, Nepal moved to GMT plus 545. They decided that being 30 minutes off of everybody else would not be odd enough. They wanted to be 15 minutes different. Nepal and two other places have this quarter hour offset. And I know you want to know which are the other two places with this 15 minute offset. They are New Zealand's Chatham Islands, and a section of Australia which uses an oddity called Central Western Time. The rest of New Zealand and Australia do not act this way. The Chatham Islands are the small islands way off to the east of New Zealand's two main islands. And the section of Australia which uses Central Western Time is one area in the southeast corner of the state of Western Australia and one tiny bit of South Australia. Some time zones were moved because of the Nazis. When time zones were created, France was on Greenwich Mean Time, what we now call UTC. When you look at a map, it's obvious why France and Britain would be in the same time zone. However, in 1940, when the Nazis conquered France, they changed the local time so that France would be in the same time zone as Germany. And for some reason, after the war... France decided to stay in that time zone. Another country that moved from GMT to GMT plus one in 1940 was Spain. No, Spain was not conquered by the Nazis. However, they were ruled by a fascist dictator named Francisco Franco, who wanted good relations with his buddy Adolf Hitler. So he moved Spain's time one hour ahead to be in the same time zone as Germany. Even though Francisco Franco died in 1975, Spain has remained in the same time zone as Germany and Central Europe, even though geographically it certainly should be on Greenwich Mean Time slash UTC. There are a lot more oddities regarding time zones, but I don't have time to go through all of them, and frankly, I think that you listeners would get bored. So let's talk about the International Dateline. The International Dateline was established at the previously mentioned International Meridian Conference in 1884 in Washington, D.C. 
Theoretically, it is 180 degrees opposite of the prime meridian which runs through Greenwich, England. Since the Earth is divided up in 360 degrees of longitude, you can go 180 degrees either east or west of Greenwich and reach the theoretical place of the international dateline. When crossing the international dateline from west to east, you gain a day, meaning that it is Tuesday on the western side of the international dateline, but Monday on the eastern side. Obviously, if you go in the opposite direction and go from east to west, you lose a day passing from Monday to Tuesday. Although it's called the international dateline, there is no international governing body, and each country can choose which side of the international dateline they are on. This means that the international dateline does not make a straight line from the North Pole to the South Pole. There are a lot of places where it zigzags. A prominent zigzag occurs in the Bering Sea between Alaska and the easternmost part of Russia. The place where the international dateline is the most out of whack is around the country of Kiribati. By the way, the name of that country is spelled K-I-R-I-B-A-T-I. For the longest time, I pronounced it Kiribati, but it is actually pronounced Kiribati. Anyway, the Republic of Kiribati gained its independence in 1979, and at that time, it was determined which islands were included in this new independent nation. Some of the islands were east of the international dateline, and some of them were west of the international dateline. This meant that the government and businesses on islands which were on opposite sides of the international dateline could only conduct business by radio or telephone on the four days of the week, which were weekdays on both sides of the international dateline. To resolve this, on December 30, 1994, the Republic of Kiribati adopted one time zone for all of the islands which made up the country. This resulted in the islands which were east of the international dateline skipping December 31, 1994, meaning that in those islands, December 30, 1994 turned into January 1, 1995 at the stroke of midnight. There was no December 31st. As a result of this change by Kiribati, the international dateline bulges way to the east to encompass all of the islands of that country. It also means that a new day always starts in that country, as well as the new year. We've been discussing how longitude and time are linked. A way of measuring time in two places was the key to determining longitude. This was a big deal before satellites and Google Maps and all of our high-tech navigation that helps us today. Up through the 1800s, ships at sea could determine their latitude. Latitude is those lines that go east-west that you see on a map or a globe. They are parallel to each other. Latitude is an angle which ranges from 0 degrees at the equator to 90 degrees at the North Pole and 90 degrees at the South Pole. So when we designate latitude, we say 40 degrees north, meaning 40 degrees north of the equator. Early on, sailors were able to discover their position by using simple instruments like a sextant or astrolabe to measure the angle above the horizon 
of Polaris, commonly called the North Star. This only worked in the Northern Hemisphere. Unfortunately, there is no equivalent in the Southern Hemisphere. Sailors could easily locate their latitude in the Northern Hemisphere by measuring the angle of Polaris above the horizon. The further north you are, the higher the angle of Polaris. So if you were at the North Pole, it's directly overhead, which would be 90 degrees. If a navigator on a ship measured the angle of Polaris above the horizon and found that it was 40 degrees above the horizon, then the ship was located at 40 degrees north of the equator. It's more difficult to do this in the southern hemisphere or during the day because Polaris is not visible, so the sailors had to use the sun. I have degrees in history and law, but not physics or math, and frankly, it's a lot more intricate to determine latitude by using the sun, and it's above my pay grade. Using the sun is a lot more complicated because the sun appears to move across the sky when a person is looking up from the earth. But for our discussion, suffice it to say that sailors were able to do it by measuring the angle of the sun at local noontime, meaning when the sun was at its highest point, and compare this to astronomical charts. It's much more complicated than using Polaris. But sailors were able to determine their latitude by using the sun. So they could determine how far north or south they were by using the sun or more easily Polaris. But how could they determine their location east and west, meaning longitude? Longitude fixes the location of a place on Earth east or west of a north-south line called the Prime Meridian. As we discussed earlier, in international conventions, the Prime Meridian is set at Greenwich, England. So longitude is given at an angular measurement that ranges from zero at the Prime Meridian to up to 180 degrees eastward or westward from Greenwich. Mostly, sailors were just guessing when they were trying to determine their longitude by making estimates as to their speed and how long they had been traveling. This was called dead reckoning. It was not very accurate. This was very dangerous, and many ships were either lost at sea or ran aground, which usually resulted in the loss of most, if not all, lives, because they did not know their longitude location. Astronomers tried to solve this problem by coming up with incredibly intricate charts wherein you would have to measure the distance from the moon compared to fixed stars on a particular night. It was very complicated. And you cannot do it during the day and you cannot do it in bad weather. Another solution was needed. This was solved by Englishman John Harrison by inventing a practical maritime clock. In 1764, John Harrison realized that clocks could be used to determine the location of a ship at sea and that it could be done very accurately. This ties into our earlier discussion regarding time zones. The problem was designing a clock which could be accurate on a sailing ship of the 1700s. Ships were in constant motion and sometimes rocking very violently. There was also the extreme humidity of being on the open ocean, and the ships experienced great 
extremes of temperature as they went from Arctic regions to tropical regions. In 1759, Harrison built his fourth version, which became the truly practical nautical clock. Harrison's clock was very durable and very accurate. So how did this work? Sailors could discover their longitude by using the clock because the clock was always set to Greenwich Mean Time. On board the ship, the sailors would determine when it was local noontime by calculating when the sun was at its highest point in the sky. They would then compare the time aboard ship, which was noon, to Greenwich Mean Time. If the clock showed that the time in Greenwich was 8 o'clock p.m., then the ship was located at GMT minus 8, which nowadays is the Pacific time zone. But more importantly for the sailors, they knew that they were 120 degrees west longitude because each hour is 15 degrees of longitude. And they could be more accurate than that. One degree of longitude equals four minutes. So using more precise math, they could find the exact longitude if, say, the ship's clock showed that it was 8.12 p.m. in Greenwich when the ship had a local time of noon because the sun was directly overhead. So the sailors could calculate that the ship was located at 123 degrees west longitude. And they can be even more accurate than that, but we are getting well past my math skills. I believe I've described the science and math correctly in this podcast. But if I've made any mistakes, please forgive me. I just realized that the Canadian listeners are upset with me because I keep referring to the province as Newfoundland. In 2001, the name of the province was officially changed to Newfoundland and Labrador. So please excuse what I said earlier, but frankly, I don't want to go back and re-record so much of this podcast. Well, that's it for today. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please like this and my other episodes. If you are listening on a podcast app like Spotify, which allows for ratings, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating. Please tell your friends, relatives, and co-workers, word of mouth is appreciated. My goal is to drop a new episode every other Friday, so please be on the lookout for new episodes. Please check out my website, historyanalyze.com, where you will find links to my podcast episodes, as well as other fun history items like this date in history, book recommendations, historic sound bites, and links to supporting historical evidence. Thank you for listening. Catch you next episode.